Um, well, should we start off with a funny story? People like stories. I heard this somewhere. People like stories. So there was like a Super Bowl a couple of Sundays ago, something like that, which isn't just like a really big cereal fit binge. Um, it was football or something like that. And who won it again? Somebody? The Patriots. Everybody loves them. I read this really interesting interview with the quarterback from the Patriots, and he was explaining kind of like the secret to his success. Did anybody read this this thing? Well, he was saying that his wife got him onto this interesting um, thing that he would do before the games, because um, for one reason or other, he was saying that she makes this altar for him, I think at the game itself, and she puts on top of the altar all these different magic stones, stones of protection, stones of healing, stones of stones, stony stoners. And she's got all these chants that he does over the stones before the game as he's getting ready. And uh, he says that, uh, so he's been doing this. You want to know the secret she said? It, it's the chanting over the magic stones that his wife, and he was joking with her saying like, honey, you're like kind of a witch. And she said, yeah, but I'm a good witch. And he said at first he was kind of skeptical about this good witchery helping him with football games. Except he said, after the game with Seattle, I realized, by God, this stuff works. So here I am finishing this interview where it's like, by God, my good witch's witchcraft, my good witch wife's witchcraft helps me win Super Bowls. Hmm. Well, today we're going to be talking about living in the truth, which that isn't. By God, my good witch wife's witchcraft helps me win the Super Bowl. Nope. Nope. One of those two things can be true. Both those things can't be true. And uh, just no. Just, just no. It left me thinking a lot about Ahab and Jezebel and all the adventures they had in the book of Kings, and you can read about that if you want to. We're in a series about family. I've declared that February is family February, and we're talking about all different kinds of family, living together families, um, legal families, adoptive families, foster families, God's family, and if you're part of a local church, church family. And what, I'm, what I've just been saying is, like, uh, you're in part of a family. And in the first message a couple of weeks ago, I had one thing to say, and it was this. If you're in a family, and you are, you're in that family for the glory of God. You're in that family to know God and to serve him and to show the people in your family what God is like. To be amazed at God and to help people see that God is amazing. And I'm just calling people to this mindset because it's not our normal mindset, right? Like um, the the average normal mindset is whatever family I'm a part of, whether it's a physical family or a legal family or a church family, um, everybody's there for my glory, right? To make me feel comfortable, to make me feel happy, to make me feel like a man, to make me feel like I'm doing a great job. That's why they're there. And when they don't do a good job of that, I let them know one way or another. So I'm calling us to a, an extremely radical relationship makeover. I am in my family for God's glory, period. And let me tell you, this will change your life. This is dealing with core motivations. Because family is core life. We are who we are in our family, right? And living for God's glory or not is dealing with core motivations. I'm living here because I've seen that Jesus Christ is amazing and he's all I need. And so I am here to serve and help people experience who Jesus is. That is living for God's glory. Not easily done, but profoundly impacting. That's what I found at least. And so last time we were talking about God's love, being a family based on love because, hey brother, because God starts his family by love. God's family is built on the love of God. By nature, we're children of wrath, the Bible says in Ephesians. By nature, we're unlovely to God. By nature, we're sinners and our hearts are 
are enemies of God. And if God had wanted to and just said, I reject all the world, all the fallen world, he would have been completely righteous to do so. But in an overflow of love, instead he sent his son Jesus to love us and die for us and be raised from the dead and then to be the source of all life for us so that when we put our trust, our living trust in Jesus, we become forgiven, we become adopted, and we become loved forever. And so just waving my arms, God's family is a, God, is a family built on love. And then we glorify God by sharing that love with the people we're called to be in family with, wanting to pass on the love that God's given us. And today I want to talk about truth, being a family built on truth, being a, a family that walks in truth and deals with truth, and trying not to be a family that says things like, by God, this witchcraft worked. Or, my magic spells are effective, praise Jesus, which is just so... The wood chipper has gone over your head a few times. Bless him, but if you're going to go into interviews, um, you, people, you, I mean, he said it, I didn't make him. He said it to everyone. Just, just, Let's read the word of God together, or at least you can listen to me read it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20, verse 25, the Apostle Paul writes this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I'll read it one more time. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And you can just hear that. He's saying, we need, to, we need to put away lying. We need to put away falsehood. We need to actually speak the truth to each other because uh, we're family. That's what he says. The family of God grows in speaking the truth to each other. Now, the truth is actually one of the most dangerous things in the world. Did you know that? You know why they killed Jesus? Because he just kept saying the truth. In John chapter 8, he even is, there's a bunch of people there ready to throw stones at him, and he says to them, why are you ready to kill me, a man who's only told you the truth I heard from God? That's all he did. He just, he healed people and he told them the truth, and he had to die. So the truth is a, is a dangerous thing, and it's not just like spiritual truth or biblical truth. Um, anybody who starts trying to bring new reality into a field, they typically get um, responded to with a lot of hostility. I've just been doing a lot of reading, you know, the first guys who started to say, maybe the earth orbits around the sun. You know, they got imprisoned <laughs> or stuff like that. Um, there's always a kind of a consensus that when truth comes to that doesn't agree with the received consensus, it, 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 um, it unsettles people, frightens people, threatens people, and they respond badly. You know, if you have a family where there's been a family secret for a long time, um, and then someone wants to talk about it, what's the response often? Hostility, anger. Why are you bringing this up? Why do you have to deal with this? Truth is threatening. Truth is dangerous. Truth uncovers. Truth exposes. Truth makes us feel threatened or weak. On the other hand, truth is one of the best things in the universe. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, it, it, it's one of the things that's real that, you know, apart from people who are like maybe born vegetables or never, or are killed in the womb, if you grow up, you actually need to know some truth in order to be saved. You need to know the truth about Jesus, that he's the Son of God, and believe in him. So much so that Paul, writing about the Jewish people who keep trying to kill him, he says, the Jewish people of my day, they are zealous for the Lord, but not according to knowledge. They don't know the truth, and so they keep rejecting Jesus, and because they keep doing it, they're lost. They're lost. They're totally lost because they won't know the truth about Jesus. So the truth matters, and it's the most amazing thing if you know the truth about Jesus, that he's the Son of God, raised from the dead, and you, you've given your life to him, that truth produces eternal life in you. And the truth is so powerful that it, in one sense, it's like the thing that sets you free. Jesus said this in chapter 8 of the Gospel of John. It says, starting verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, or had believed him, If you abide in my word, 
speaking of Bible reading challenges. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the source of real freedom for Christians? Knowing the truth. Having the truth get underneath our fears, underneath our pains, underneath our self-deceptions, underneath our lies. That is what sets us free. That the word of Jesus abiding in us, setting us free. When Jesus told this to the people who had believed in him, they got offended. (laughs) If you're saying I have to get free, that means I'm a slave. I'm mad at you! See, this is just normal human hearts. The truth comes and we either humble ourselves and, it, and, and surrender to it, or we defend ourselves and get angry about it. That's human nature. And that's why the truth is so dangerous. One of the things the Bible teaches us about the, the human heart is that very often we would rather be deceived. It's, it's, this isn't the part where, you, where I, Rob gets lots of amens and the, the lines from the sermon end up on Facebook. It's really sad, but it's one of the truths from Scripture. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians a little bit earlier, I'll read it for you. In fact, he, he describes the reality of human life apart from God intervening through Jesus. And it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So he says, you're just following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. So you're following Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we were all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is human nature. To be led astray by the world, to be led astray by our own selfish desires, and to be led astray by Satan. And because of these things, to be under God's wrath, for God to actually be angry at us about it. Not encouraging. But true. Do you want to know the truth or do you want to be deceived? And even when we get saved as Christians, we begin our journey in the truth. We get saved by the God who is the truth. We don't get rescued from having a tendency to want to be deceived for our own um, purposes. And you can tell that by how many times the apostles writing to churches tell them, don't be deceived. I think all of them do it but you know there's a few big times at the end of galatians this church that was really zealous for jesus and for the gospel but then got sidetracked by believing you needed to get circumcised and returning to the law and paul ends his letter by saying to them do not be deceived a man reaps what he sows if with your life you sow to the flesh from that flesh you will reap destruction but if By the Spirit, you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. And he's just waving his arms and saying, Christian, don't be tricked. You can't just do whatever you want and be led astray and have no consequences. The truth is, if you're saved, you need to follow the Spirit. God's not mocked, he says. We can't jerk God around. We can't tell him what he needs to do with us. He's God. In another letter in 1 Corinthians, which is the Hollywood church, they're having all these parties at Corinth because there's this guy who started having a very passionate, I'm sure, and, and loving, I'm sure, affair with his stepmom. Let that sink in. And the church is celebrating it. Man, we're progressive. Man, we're accepting. Man, we're inclusive. Look at us. And Paul's just, he's just like, the pain. And he says to them, don't be deceived. And he lists all these lifestyles that people can stay living in. Don't, don't, you, don't you know? Don't, don't be deceived. The truth is that the adulterers and the sexually immoral and the greedy and the covetous and those who are committed to homosexuality, they will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. It's easier to think that you can just tell somebody, God loves you and no matter what happens, they'll go to heaven. It's easier to think if you just show up and you throw some juice down your throat, you'll go to heaven. It's easier. It's more comfortable. It's easier on our pride and on our fears and on our worries to think and feel like that. It's just not true. 
It's just not true. That's always the issue. Is it true? And this is actually one of the things that's like a sign of being born again by the spirit of truth is you, you come to a place where you're just like, I just want to know the truth about God without running it through the machine of evaluation, right? Well, does this make me feel better or not better? A lot of Christians get caught on, well, if I think this is true, will the people around me think better of me or worse of me? Will this help people I want to get saved to feel like I love them or not feel like I love them? And we run it through this whole weird like evaluation when we're reading the Word of God, trying to decide whether this could be true or not. Does it make the women feel powerful? Does it make the men feel powerful? Does it make who's in charge here? All the, the power struggles go through the thing. And a sign of being a born again is just, just like, I just want to know the truth about my God. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if it makes me happy today. I don't care if it makes me sad today. Someone, please just tell me the truth. From God's Word. And I'm not just making this up. You guys will remember the time when Jesus fed the 5,000 and all the people who got fed at that time came to him the next day looking for more food. And he said, if you guys really want to eat something great, you know what you need to eat? You need to eat my flesh. And they're like, yuck. And he said, well, not only do you need to eat my flesh, you also need to drink my blood. And everyone's like, we're out of here. Except for his disciples. And he said to them, aren't you guys going to? And he said, where else we can go? You have the words of life. Meaning what? Something had gripped them where they're just like, Jesus, you are making us so profoundly uncomfortable right now. It sounds like you're calling us to cannibalism and we're watching everyone we know look at us and go, you guys are psychopaths and leaving us, but we don't know where to go because you're telling us the truth. We don't want to be here. We don't want to be associated with you right now because you're crazy but you keep saying true things and we want the truth of God. That's a sign that you're born again. When you get there, just I don't care what the word says. I just want to know what it says. I don't care what the truth costs. I need to know and walk in the truth. I don't care what people think. I need to know that God thinks I'm believing him and obeying him. In truth. Amen? So we need to be regularly in the Word. Speaking of Bible reading challenges, if you've never read through the entire New Testament, we're going to start in March. I'm going to do it. I'll be with you in there, following John. But we need to be in the Word a lot. And not just in the Word to make ourselves feel better. Like, I, I do this, you know, open the Bible in the morning, feeling terrible, the coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Had to put in an extra three squirts of chocolate milk mix into the coffee just to try to get the sugar going in the brain. And you're just like, let me read something that will encourage. Let me read something that will make me feel better. And you know what? God is so gracious. Opens my eyes to see the glory of Jesus. Helps me remember that Jesus loves me and died for me. And he's amazing. Puts the spirit into my heart so that I'm not alone anytime ever again in my life. The spirit whose fruit is love, who is like literally the living love of God, is with me and in me and around me and for me. And I cannot find myself in a situation throughout the entire day that I cannot turn to the spirit and say, help, and he won't help me. That's some good truth in the morning. However, not everything in the Word is that encouraging. And so we should be in the Word looking to also be corrected. Right? Not just for encouragement, but like, change my mind, God. I just know by nature, I think things about you that aren't true. I think things about myself that aren't true. I think I'm living life a good way that isn't a good way. Change my mind. I don't want to just feel better. Change my mind, God. Truth is better. It's always better. Sometimes it hurts, sometimes it costs, but it's always better. Wouldn't you want God on your side because you're living on the truth more than feeling like you protected yourself by not saying yes to the truth? Ah. So we need to be in the truth and wanting God to change our minds. I think the the one characteristic that 
that we can kind of pray for, besides just asking the Spirit to come. Like, I pray every day for us, you know, almost every time I get started here, God, would you send the Spirit of wisdom and revelation on us? God, would you send the power of God that makes us see the truth? Because we don't see it without His help. But something that also works really well to help know God's truth is just wanting to foster humility in God's presence. Just humility, like... The thing that keeps us from knowing the truth really well is where, when we have something to prove and something to hide and something, some, some hidden agenda, right? If you come to God's words, you're like, God, I'm nothing. I, I really am nothing. I was born yesterday and I could die in five minutes. And then it's a shovel full of dirt and no one will remember my name in 50 years. That's, that's Rob Belfort. I'm, I'm really nothing. And I'll be dead soon. But I'm reading the word of God. The God who's been alive forever, has been ruling forever, and has humbled himself so much to actually make a word which is his own speech to me. God, I'm nothing. Just tell me what you want me to think. And it really, it's really like taking me in some weird roads. Like, let me just tell you this strange story. You guys know that if you come to Calvary and I'm speaking, you're going to get a strange story. So I don't want to let you down. I was reading the news the other day, and I was reading this story. This guy, I think he's from the UK. He said he was a, like a, a male escort for other men and was doing it quite a bit. And uh, I think it was at Christmas. He, he just decided, I don't really like my life, and so I'm going to be celibate. He said, I'm going to be celibate for a year. I'm just going to give up on everything sexual, all relationships. I'm just going to do me. And he said, by the end of that year... He had gone straight. Just no desire for a homosexual contact anymore. And it's just like, there's no, like, I found Jesus. There's no, I was praying. He, you can tell by the way he talks, he's still pretty um, about himself. But I was just like, okay, if that's true, I don't have any excuses anymore for anything. And uh, I need to start living for the glory of God in that area of my life more. And then so I've just been reading, and the thing that's dawned on me as I've been thinking about God's word and that whole realm of sexuality is that there, biblically there isn't such a thing as orientation. Heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. God gave us like 1,500 years of revelation, never mentions that kind of concept even once. He just says, you're a sexual being, and you're fallen, and you're pretty much capable of anything. Are you going to walk with me in faith or not? And walking with God in obedience either looks like being part of a heterosexual covenant marriage or embracing the gift of celibacy for the glory of the Lord. That's what faith looks like. And anybody's capable of anything. And you're like, Rob, you're weird. Should we even talk about this in church? Look, you can't even get through Genesis 1 before God is telling two people to make babies. You can't even get through Genesis 3 before there's two naked people who are about to make babies. You can't get through Genesis 4 before those two used-to-be-naked people are making babies. You can't even get through Genesis 9 before there's already been bigamy, oops, and harems, yuck. You can't even get through Genesis before there's been a rape and there's been polygamy and there's been um, bait and switch marriages where a guy gets given the wrong woman to get married to. There's been a, a sexual attack by a woman on a slave. You can't even get through Genesis before almost every kind of sexuality is right in front of your face without any orientation labeling. And then you even get to the end of Deuteronomy. This is the one that blows my circuits. At the end of Deuteronomy, I don't even remember when they're supposed to go into the promised land. They were supposed to split their entire nation like a million people on two mountains and then have people go in between it and they were supposed to shout these blessings and these curses at each other okay can you picture it like one like two abe's hills and a bunch of people all over one abe's hill and a bunch of people and everybody going through while people are shouting blessings and cursings at them and some of the curses are like cursed is somebody who lies with an animal cursed is somebody who sleeps with their nephew cursed is somebody who has sex with their aunt and i'm reading this and i'm like they had to do that all the kids were there they say, they say, don't sleep with animals. Don't marry your aunt. It's not God's will. It's in the Bible. And so I'm just thinking about this stuff, and I'm just like, I think our whole culture has bought into a deception. 
Any single one of us can want almost anything under the right circumstances. The question is this, do we know God and what do we do with our desires? And will we just say, God, I want to live for your glory. I just want to live for your glory. That's the truth. And the whole orientation thing, I think, is it lets somebody say, I can't change. Or you have to approve of what I want to do. Because I was born like this. Well, look, we were all born dead. We're all born spiritually dead. If you're going to get stuck with what you're born with, you'll go to hell. And be lost and punished forever. We're the people who say, we, you don't stay how you were born. You get born again and you find Jesus and you find out that his glory is better than any man or any woman. Sorry, everybody. The glory of Jesus is better than marriage. Hello, anybody? If you're not there, I want you to know Jesus. Jesus, prayer times with Jesus are better than anything you can do with a human being. Hello, are you there? If you're not there, I want you to get there. Prayer times with Jesus. The truth is, is that a great prayer time with Jesus is better than anything you can do with a human being. In the presence of the glory of God. In the presence of unending love. In the presence of one who bought you with his death. Prayer times with Jesus are better than anything. You start there and it changes the subject a little bit. So that's just one example of going to the word and say, just tell me the truth. I want to think along true lines. And I know someone will come back to me and say, you don't even know my story and I get it. And I get it. And I get it. My question to them right away would be, have you come to the place where the glory of God is what you want more than anything? Because if you're not there yet, we're just pushing around the stones on the altar. All right. Guys, I love you. Can I just say one thing? We started off with love before truth first because truth has edges. And sometimes people think we just need the truth, we just need the truth, we just need the truth. Do you know what God's word says in the truth? It says if you don't have love, your truth is nothing. You can understand all mysteries, you can have all knowledge, you can understand how cell phones work, which I'm convinced only three people in the world actually understand. You can understand everything, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. That's what the truth says. And so we go with love. And we go with the truth, and you can't divide these things. If you know the truth, you're going to love like Jesus, because that's what you're called to do. And if you're not loving like Jesus, you probably don't know the truth about him the way you could yet. Amen? And so that's why I'm saying, if you want to love somebody, just cry out to God for the truth upon the truth upon the truth. Ah, I'm getting lost. Let's get back at this thing. So we talked about, I'm just calling us again to just go, God, I'm a part of your family. I just want to know the truth. Help me know the truth. Show me the truth. And this helps a little bit with all the crazy stuff that happens in life. I'm over time becoming more and more convinced. When I blow up, when I melt down, when I have a hard day, when nothing goes right, I'm convinced almost always God's will is to show me something I need to know about my character, about my heart, about the way I'm looking at the world. He uses discomfort to get our attention so he can bring us closer to the truth. And the truth is worth it. And being closer to God is always worth it. And so you can say, okay, God, use this for your glory. This is a mess. Can you use this for your glory, please? I want to know you. You're my treasure, Jesus. You're my treasure. Like, I'm a bit of a freakazoid, but, you know, the older I get, I just go, you know what, Jackie could die any day. You need to be my treasure, Jesus. I could lose my kids any time. You need to be my treasure, Jesus. And you're better than them anyways. And I only get to keep them when I love you more than them. You actually said I need to like hate them compared to you. <laughs> I'm not worthy of you. So yes, God, I give them all to you. I give everything to you. I can't keep anything. I can't keep the church. I can't keep my money. I can't keep my life or my health or anything. Just give me Jesus in truth. Amen. So I'm calling us just to want to know the truth as part of God's family and then to try to live in it, right? We're called to live honest, truth-filled lives. That's what we were learning in Ephesians where he says, since you put away falsehood, speak the truth to your neighbor. 
because we're members of one another. We're called to this honest lifestyle with each other, which is hard. Amen? Any, anybody? Just one person nodding their head. I, I, I think he's just doing it to support me, which I appreciate. I will buy you that cup of coffee later. We're called to live lives of honesty with each other. Um, many times we get caught in this thing that I like to call truth management. Okay? Truth management. We're trying to spin truth, reveal a little bit to this person that time we were called on. And the heart behind truth management is I don't want to go through trouble. I don't want to lose face. I don't want to endure suffering. I don't want discomfort. So how do I do truth in such a way to achieve the goals of my life? So you may have been following this news story that's out nowadays. There's this actor in this movie show called Empire, which I've never seen. And uh, I think it was last week or a few days ago, he came out saying, you know, I was walking home from Subway and I got attacked by a couple of white supremacists or something like that. And they put a rope around my neck and, and, uh, and uh, oh, our country's so bad and this stuff's happening. And, you know, I'm glad I survived and, and all this stuff. And then he reported it to the police and the police started investigating. And the first they found out was they, even though like the Chicago, the city where it happened, is full of cameras, they couldn't find on camera where this supposedly happened. And there was like one 60-second moment where he showed up with something around his neck, but he also still had his sandwich and was just walking like nothing had happened. So it didn't kind of look like he'd been attacked by people because usually if you get attacked by a couple people in the middle of the night, you drop the sandwich. Anybody? Somebody? Maybe if you're really hungry, you're like, back off, get your own sandwich. Anybody, somebody? Um, and then they wanted his phone records, and he didn't want to give them. And as the investigation's going on, it looked like the two people who did come to him, he had paid, and they weren't white supremacists. They were actually from Nigeria, and it looks like he even paid them to buy the rope. And so the crazy thing is he actually went on Good Morning America to tell his story and to complain that people weren't believing him before all the truth came out. He was offended. Why people just believe my story? Well, this is a case of truth management gone wrong. Really wrong. We forget nowadays that there's things like cameras and evidence and competent police officers and stuff like that. It, it doesn't work. But the reality is, and this is something Christians need to realize, is that the God of the universe is actually pretty bent on making secrets come into the light. Jesus said, hey, whatever you guys say in, in the hidden places is going to be shouted from the rooftops. This is, God does this. The universe is bent towards not being able to keep secrets. And so we're supposed to kind of have a little holy fear about this thing. Um, but living honestly with each other and not doing truth management with each other. Uh, the Apostle John writes, I think, the best portion of Scripture on how to walk in the light together. And I'm going to read it. When he's talking about walking in the light, he's talking about being honest with each other and, and confessing your sins, which I would assume would also include confessing your weaknesses, confessing your temptations, just living honestly with each other. So this is 1 John chapter 1, starting verse 5. John says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. We've heard from God and give to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Meaning God is honest and true and there's no deception or lying in him at all. The lying and deception is the devil's business and which is why he's going to go to the lake of fire at the end of time. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. See, there's that D word again. We're tempted, even as Christians, to want to hide our sin. But it's not like we're tricking other people. It's just us that's deceived when we try to do that. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When people in general, and specifically Christians, when we've got something we want to hide, whatever it is, 
the fear almost always is if I walk in the truth, if I tell somebody, number one, they're going to reject me. And number two, then, then the boom is going to drop with God. Then, you know, right now the, the guillotine is hovering over my head. And if I tell somebody, then he's going to pull the cord and I'm heads in a basket. That, those are often the fears. If I admit it, then God's going to jump on me. If I admit it, then I'm going to lose my church, lose my brothers or sisters in Christ. And John tells us it's actually the exact opposite. When we walk in the light, confessing our sins, it says we have fellowship with one another. You'd think it would say we have fellowship with God, but it's not. It's, when we walk in the light as he is in light, we actually have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, I, I haven't been a pastor that long. It'll be eight years in May, which is just a good start for this kind of work. I'm just starting to realize how bad I am at almost everything I do and really beginning to trust Jesus for this stuff. But I have listened to a lot of people confess sins, and I haven't seen one of them drop dead right in front of me. That's the fear, right? If I confess it, God's going to strike me down. I keep it a secret from me and from God, so maybe we'll be okay. Never seen anybody struck down. Never seen anybody like burst out in cancer. Never seen anybody's eyes like melt like they opened up the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones or anything like that. That's not what God does. When you walk in the light, that's when God actually makes you experience the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ. When you confess your sins, that's when God actually cleanses your heart from the unrighteousness of it. It's actually at those times where we're walking in the truth that we experience what Jesus has done for us. And we're not just confessing, I believe he forgives me and walks away. When we tell God with a brother, God, I've sinned or I'm struggling, that's actually where we experience the grace. It's the opposite of what we fear. And when we fear that people are going to like reject us and hate us, you know what actually destroys the fellowship in a church? Minnesota nice. You've all experienced. How you doing? Good. I make fun of this all the time. Gee, so good. You know, how come you're bleeding? Gunshot wound, but I'm good. You know, we just come here to lie to each other. I'm so good. Good, 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 good. You want to hear good, 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 good. And then, then sometimes I'm fine, which means terrible, right? Good, good means awful. Good means I'm burnt out. Good means I don't want to be here. Good means I'm fighting with my wife. Fine means like, I want to kill everyone. Fine is like, I will kill you next if you don't leave me alone. I will lay hands on you, but not the healing kind. You know what I mean? Like fine means terrible. Good means bad. We do that. And you know what that does? It actually destroys fellowship. Not being honest. And I get it. It's church. You just try. I just, I just want to sing and then go home. You know, I get it. But lifestyle-wise, if it's always fine and it's always good, um, it, it actually destroys fellowship. But that confession, I'm really struggling, keep praying for me, that actually builds up the body of Christ. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not believing anything you say. I'm so angry today. You know, I blew up at this thing or I did this thing or whatever. That confession, God shows up to bind people together. I'm not talking about just like psychology here. God shows up to spread love. And if things go well and, and nobody's responding badly, then that person gets to extend grace by the help of the Holy Spirit and that, the other person feels the grace by the help of the Holy Spirit and you go like, Matt knows all my junk. Tony knows all my junk plus more than even Matt knows about my junk. Greg knows my junk. Like, we're brothers. We're actually brothers. So church life, as a rule of thumb, there should be someone at church who knows pretty much everything about you. And secrets make you sick. This is kind of the little rhyme you can remember. Hey, secrets make you sick. If I'm keeping something secret, it's going to poison me. It's going to come out some weird way. It's going to be something about walking with Jesus I can't do. Secrets make you sick. I need to get some stuff into the light before the Lord. In our homes, I think that um, for me, where this really impacts me, I'll just talk about myself from now on. Um, there's a few ways this comes out, just this knowing that godly, like families for God's glory walk in the truth. There's a few things we do. Um, Jackie's really diligent about not letting the kids pretend like something's not wrong. You know, sometimes people need to unwind a little bit, but we, do, we, do, we do try to deal with everything that day. Kind of like the Bible says, you know, don't let the sun go down your anger. 
if there's a kid that runs out and slams the door, we can give him a few minutes, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it until it feels like we're on the same team again, until fellowship's been restored. You be gracious. Sometimes there's correction. That's fine, but we need to be telling the truth to each other. Um, if, if the adults blow it and sin, uh, we confess to the kids. Acknowledge it. You know what? That was a fit of anger. I really apologize. It was sin. I was wrong. Walking in the light with the kids. You know what? They've so far always forgiven. Maybe sometime they'll be like, well, if you give me a pony, I'll forgive you or whatever. And then we can correct him about that. It's not how it works. I get forgiven by the blood, not by anything else. But just this life, right? Like a fighting for fellowship by being honest. And, and I know it's tricky, okay? Tr- honesty is tricky. Um, you go to grandma's house and she, or great grandma's house and she's made a meal and the peas, okay, the peas, maybe it tastes like they've been in the freezer for a couple decades. And you're like, are these snow peas? No, they're regular peas. They've just gone white from freezer burn. They look like those wasabi peas, but they're not. They taste a little bit too much like wasabi pea, even though they're just regular pea. And she, and then what is grandma going to How are the peas? Okay, this is the moral crisis of the day for everybody. <laughs> You know, you do not upset grandmama, right? You don't upset grandmama. She's 83. You don't know what it's going to happen to her. If you tell her that you found things in your kid's diapers that remind you of the peas. So, so what do you say? I've never had peas like these before. He's like... I am impacted by these peas. You know, what do you say, right? So I'm just, I'm just telling a story because it's somewhere we've been where you know that truth-telling isn't simplistic and truth-telling in love, it doesn't always, it's not always easy. So bless you. God will help you in the moment. However, I think our, our goal should be to try to tell as much truth as we can in any situation. And it's tricky with kids growing up, Right? They have a lot of truth they need to know. Truth about life, truth about bodies, truth about family, truth about our pasts that they probably need to hear about. And it's always the question of when. When's the right time? Um, you know, if you throw a medicine, 20-pound medicine ball at a three-year-old, you're really going to hurt him. And if you sit down and start trying to confess your sins to a three-year-old, it's probably not going to be a blessing. Um, but you can do it in an age-appropriate way sometimes. But by the time your kid is 18, they should be able to handle getting a, a medicine ball thrown at them, metaphorically speaking. So we're trying to walk out this whole thing of talking about sexuality with our kids. Puberty's coming down the line or has already arrived, and what's, what do you do? Uh, for me, the thing is, I, I want to hear them to hear as much, for the boys, I want them to hear as much from me as possible before they start getting it from other people. And what I'm wanting to do is stake this ground. This area of life is something we talk about. So um, nobody's here, but what we kind of do is we go, we go for a drive and pick up a bu- bunch of Timbits and just try to make it really relational. So you ever heard about this stuff before? No. Want to know about it? I guess so. Okay, well, here's the big... Look, tell me what you know to start off with. Well, somebody said this once. Well, that body part actually doesn't belong to boys. It belongs to girls. And you can start... You can do a really relational... True story. You can do a really <laughs> relational um, walk through stuff that puts the light on things. And whatever you claim for the light, the hope is, is that there won't be like awkwardness, as much secret keeping, as much room for the enemy to bring shame into things. You're trying to claim it for the light, right? Not easily done, but like man up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm tough. I, I go play rugby. Yeah, but you talk to your kids about the birds and the bees. No, that's awkward. I'm just teasing. I've been hurt by you before, so please don't remember what I just said. Do you hear what I'm talking about? Like, we actually build relationship with our kids through walking in the light, just like anybody else. We actually claim things for the Lord by showing that we want to talk about it without being forceful or stressed out or like, you need to learn this so that you don't become a bad person. Like, you do it in love and not out of fear. You do it in faith and not out of unbelief and wanting to... Lay hold of things. If you go through a family crisis, they, they pro- little kids probably need lots of opportunities to talk about it and be listening for the stuff. Like, um, you know, when my dad passed away, like, 
it, it takes a while before you find out that kids want to process it. What happened to dad when he died? Well, right? Whatever we can talk about, that's area for the Lord. That's area where they can walk in the light and they can grow. Um, as a rule of thumb, I think that spouses should be able to talk to each other about anything. Can I say that? As a rule of thumb, I think spouses, if you've like given your entire life to another person in covenant, that you should be able to find ways to talk about stuff. And the question is often like, can you be a good listener through it? If we find that we can't talk about stuff or can't listen to stuff, the question might often be like, God, where's the hurt? Where do I need healing? Where is this not about God's glory? What do I feel like I'm fear I'm losing? What do I fear I'm going to die if something happens? Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And I can tell you that as I've been walking this journey of like, I'm actually married to Jackie for the glory of God, we are having conversations about stuff we haven't been able to talk about. Because it's not about me anymore. It's about being like Jesus as much as possible. One last thing I just want to end on. If we're... If, if families glorify God by walking in the truth, and I think in a sense that the adults in the house need to just be willing to take responsibility for the truth that's in the house, for whatever happens... So that's kind of my job as the preaching pastor here. I'm kind of the most responsible for things being true when they're shared from the front. That's a responsibility I have. Um, and if you're mom or dad in the house, you know, we take in so much input, so much entertainment, so much material. If it's your house, you're responsible for the truth of what happens in there. Right? And uh, so the reason I'm sharing this, we had this little good moment where you know god makes stuff happen in my life so i can be useful for you guys and uh i came downstairs the kids were watching some stuff and we're pretty pretty um we talk to kids lots about discernment and about not watching stuff especially because there's little kids there (coughs) excuse me so we're pretty good at that and the kids are pretty good at that they own it pretty good but they're watching this show it's called like hi-ho kids or something and i come in there and it's this these kids are interviewing an adult man and as I just wander in to see what they're talking about, they're interviewing him because he was a bank robber. Like he knocked off uh, some armored cars because he was like a junkie or something like that. And I'm just listening to him and it's like, this is so weird because number one, it's like nine-year-olds asking him questions. What was it like? How much money did you get? You know, just like these. And so it just felt awkward and they have this like light and dancey and kind of cheerful music in the background so fun to spend some time with a bank robber he stuck a gun in someone's face and took the cash isn't it great don't you want to be one too like it was just this there was no sense of this guy did something terrible you know what I mean? There's no sense. There's just da, 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 da. nothing like leaving your children with a criminal who's done hard time behind bars. Da, 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 boop, 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 boop. Like really hard time, like the kind where, you know, people get shivved. Boop, 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 boop. Cheerful, cheerful, cheerful. And so I walk into this and I'm like, what is this? I go there and you're a bank robber. And I was like, this seems, this feels really weird. So I just start saying, guys, this feels really weird. This feels really, can we turn this off? This feels really weird. And it was bedtime anyway, so not a big deal. And I sent them back. And, you know, so I thought, okay, I got to talk to them, right? I'm, I'm responsible for the messages that they get. I'm responsible for all of them. I'm not necessarily guilty of it, but I'm responsible for the truth of the house. And so starting with the youngest and kind of working my way up, I was like, what do you think of that? Oh, it was really interesting. Yeah, it's like, that's the problem. So cool. I hope I, I don't want to be like a gun bank robber. I want to be a hacker bank robber. I want to steal people's Bitcoins. Bitcoin. Internet. So just talk us through, you know what? I just, you know what? I understand. I don't think the people who made this show know God because it's really actually evil to steal things from people. Like people's money is actually their life. Like they work and they make money and they spend an entire year making like 20,000 bucks they can save. And then if somebody comes and steals it, they've stolen their entire year from them. It's actually really evil to steal stuff like that. Do you think we can be really careful if we ever watch that show again? Maybe we shouldn't watch those ones. I don't think those people, 
Well, I'd also done a little bit of research, and the same show with little kids interviewing adults was the one where they, in, they had some kids interview the lady from Shout Your Abortion, which is this movement where they're trying to make women really proud of having had abortions, and just like, so they had the Shout Your Abortion lady on this, and had these nine-year-olds interviewing her. Dismembered my own child. It's so amazing. I'm so proud. I feel empowered. It's, that's just wicked. That is demonically wicked that is satanic and wicked and upbeat and cheerful with children on the like youtube just for children we've we've screened all this stuff channel so we talk about it the older they get you know these guys they make this show where they're trying to convince kids that having abortions is great that mommies who kill their own kids it's okay look i know this is a big deal and if you've been impacted by this stuff there is grace and forgiveness in Jesus, but part of that process of really knowing you're forgiven is coming face-to-face with that it was wrong to do. And uh, teaching little kids that it's fine is, isn't helping. So hey, that's my latest journey. But I'm responsible for what the kids think because of the shows they watch. And I think that every adult, whenever you sit down to watch The Incredibles Part 2, you've got to be ready to stop it at any time and say, did you guys hear what they just said? What do you think about that? And bring the words, truth, to these things. Every form of entertainment is sermons. The news is sermons. Comedies are sermons. Every movement is a sermon. It presents a worldview, whether where there's a God or not, and it presents a problem, and it presents people trying to fix that problem. And it almost never involves trusting in Jesus. Right? And so we're responsible for it. Does it mean we have to be like um, super uptight, clingy, mad at our kids for seeing things people know we're on the same team we love them and i know that someday they're going to leave and watch whatever they want to and i want to train them on the way to discern for truth and another good thing you can do is just make fun of star wars as much as possible (laughs) mocking is like one of the best ways to get kids off of the culture it's so true i'm sorry every time i get up here and i talk about that dumb infinity glove You can do anything with it. And you kill half the people instead of just saving them? You think saving them is killing them? That is the dumbest script ever. That person would never exist. Ever. Ever. Go and enjoy Endgame. You'll hear my voice the whole time. This is stupid. This is just a grown man in a piece of plastic standing in front of a green screen. Have you got your shot yet? Can you make me look younger when you photo edit this thing? You're welcome. All right. All that to say, we are called to be a people of the truth. All the way up, all the way down. We're called to be a people who know the truth and live in the truth. Jesus' words are truth. We're called to be people who walk in the truth with each other and tell the truth. Um, One of my heroes from the last sermon, somebody came up and she said, I thought you said this and I didn't like it. I want to make I want to get in the light that we're on the same page. Did you say what you thought? I thought you said, I said, I didn't actually, this is what I think. We pray together. She did it right there. We're, We're family. Let's get this into the light right now. Because I do sometimes say things that people think I was taking shots at them, and not always. Sometimes I do take shots at people, but it's usually just the elders. Okay? We're meant to, we're actually meant to have real relationship with each other. And as much as we're responsible for it, let's make sure that the truth of God is being reminded and brought to the forefront, and people are being taught how to evaluate and discriminate and discard things that aren't true and don't glorify God. Amen? Darren, I'll hand it over to you.